0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I've got a great interview for you today. We've brought back Ernesto Falcone from the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, And we're going to talk today about net neutrality again. It's been, you know, we had a lot of big discussions about net neutrality last year, certainly over last summer when the comment period was open. And John Oliver did his wonderful little sketch on that. And uh, we talked with Ernesto back then. And we managed to get the Senate to do their part on repealing, or it's, it's, there's a lot of double negatives in here. Um, basically the Obama administration put it, set up some regulations that were set to go into place, I think at the end of last year. And, uh, when the new administration came in, in particular, when Ajit Pai came in, he declared that he was going to roll those back. And, uh, he did just that. They, there was an open comment period, which was quite the fiasco. And, you know, basically uh, there were a lot of bots and other false things being automatically posted in f- uh, in favor of what the FCC was doing, whereas the vast majority of the public is actually against this. Uh, but unlike Chairman Wheeler uh, before him and the FCC, who changed his mind based on public comment, um, the uh, the current FCC chairman said, no, we're going to go forward with this and they did. And they basically rolled, not only did they roll back the regulations, but they kind of neutered themselves as an agency and said, not only are we rolling these things back, but we're going to say that we can no longer enforce these things. And so the we there were procedures in place uh, so that we could stop this action from taking effect. And there was a huge internet campaign and we got the Senate to actually do their part. And then, then it got, kind of got stuck in the house. What I didn't realize until talking to Ernesto Falcone was that it's actually not dead yet. It's, it's still alive. We can still get this work and we have to the end of this year to convince the house to do their part. And of course, at that point, it still has to go to president Trump. Um, and we don't know exactly where that will go, but we're going to get into all of that with Ernesto. We're going to talk about why this is becoming, uh, why this issue has raised its head again, in particular, because, um, California has just passed its own state level net neutrality bill that is very good. And of course, the the Department of Justice and the telecoms have separately sued to stop that. It's just a mess. So net neutrality has always been, well, actually, no, it hasn't always been complicated. It has been made complicated by the government. It's actually a very, very straightforward principle that has gotten really, really muddy uh, because the. The, the folks that do not want net neutrality, which are the internet service providers, have spent a lot of money lobbying Congress uh, and frankly getting their way uh, and, and clouding the argument and making it sound like it's something that you don't want and and really confusing things. So thank goodness we have somebody like Ernesto here to straighten it all out for us. So without further ado, let's dive in and, and re-figure out why this is such a big deal and how it's not over yet. We can still still bring back net neutrality and, it's, and why that is important that we do so. So let's talk to Ernesto Falcone. All right, with us today, as promised, is Ernesto Omar Falcone. He's a legislative counsel for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, he specializes in federal legisla- in the federal legislative process on issues impacting privacy, intellectual property, and Internet freedom. All things that we care about deeply on this show. Welcome back. It's been too long. Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, So today, as we actually over a year ago uh, talked about, we're going to get back into net neutrality. And uh, while the fight is still kind of raging, it seems to have, like the battleground seems to have moved away from federal level and now to the state level. So if you're not in a state where this is a big issue, you might not have heard about it. California Governor uh, Jerry Brown just signed uh, SB 822 into law, uh, which enacted some pretty strong net neutrality rules. Um, So before we get started, let's review some of the basics, because I know that uh, this has been out of the limelight for a while. So Let's just back up and cover like what is net neutrality and why do groups like the EFF think it's such a good thing?
1: Certainly. So, net neutrality, just in the broad sense, is this concept that when you use your internet service, uh, namely through likely your cable or telephone company, uh, that the cable and telephone company have no right to interfere, or block, or degrade access to whatever you want to do on the internet. Uh, any service or application basically they're supposed to attempt to provide you the best service to get access to them and are not allowed to reshape or change the flow of information uh to benefit their own needs
0: okay so like so there's a the notion of there's a lot of you know terms people throw around when they talk about net neutrality like pay to play and fast lanes and slow lanes um it, it, for the way you describe it obviously it sounds like a good thing we want we want this but People ask me, you know, why do we want net neutrality? And I always have a hard time coming up with like a just like a short twenty-five words or less kind of like this is what it is, and this is why we need it. Um, talk a little bit about um, how that really comes into play. Like what what would that mean? Like what would a world without well, we're in there, we're in it now, or we're, we're we're coming. We're in it now. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: what would a world without this look like? What is it we're afraid of that's going to happen?
1: So right now, the the major ISPs, the internet service providers. Uh, you know, they were successful at getting the FCC to repeal net neutrality despite uh, near universal opposition from the public. Now, what they would like, you know, in, in, in the, the benefit of what they're trying to get is uh, really uh, is this issue called pay prioritization. The idea that every single party that needs to connect to you as a user should pay the ISP an extra fee or uh, worse yet, pay the ISP an extra fee in order to get preferential treatment. So that they have some sort of of quality advantage over uh, like uh, similarly situated services. So uh, a a concrete version of that would be, say, Netflix would pay Comcast for Netflix to work better on the Internet versus any other video service they may want to access to. And I know that in the
0: past, ISPs have said things like, well, there's a there's a there's a financial argument here. We're getting overrun with Netflix traffic, you know, so, you know, prime time. You know, people are streaming like crazy, and it's bogging down our network. Why shouldn't I be expected to make Netflix caught up, cough up a little extra money for
1: that? Yeah. Well, the the problem with the argument there is that uh, you, as a, you know, if you're a Comcast subscriber or really anyone who's subscribing to broadband service today, you, you've paid for the entire service. There's there is zero doubt, and there's zero uh, there there is zero loss that the ISP is engaging in when it gives you whatever you want to consume on the internet. Uh, what they're trying to do is you know, basically have us charge, charge us more and then charge the other side even more on top of that uh, f- purely as a, as a rent-seeking effort. Uh, you know, for example, just to give some concrete numbers, when Comcast and Netflix had their big dispute uh, about three or four years ago and Comcast was arguing that Netflix has to be able to pay them some sort of fee in order for it to all to work, uh, the estimate that Netflix came up with at the end – where Netflix would would on their own dime, you know, Netflix would pay for all the infrastructure, and all Comcast had to do was agree not to charge an extra fee on top. Uh, the arrangement Netflix was offering was essentially the cost of one hour of video was a fraction of a penny for hmm. Comcast, and dropping, and so. I suspect every person who has Comcast or any sort of cable or telephone service real recognize that they're paying a lot of money already for broadband. <laughs> and the idea that these companies can't make a profit, despite the fact that, you know, we're talking about a fraction of a penny per hour of HD video that somehow they need to charge extra fees in order to make it the, the economy, the economics work is, is, is foolish. <laughs> uh, so the other one
0: that's kind of a sneaky, uh, net neutrality, uh, play or anti net neutrality play is this notion of zero rating tell us how that works because it's really it, it seems you know basically it's like for instance would be verizon saying well if you use this service it won't we won't charge you anything against your data plan so it seems like well that's free that's not pay- that's not charging extra so how does how, why is that a violation
1: certainly and and we were very proud that we were able to 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 successfully get the state of california to ban Uh, certain zero rating practices so let's let's take like the the satellite views zero rating is this process where you're using a service most likely wireless service that's usually where this comes up uh, where you have a a finite amount of data that you are given through your subscription so eight gigabits of, of information before you hit what's called an overage fee or some sort of throttling of your service Uh, Unless you pay extra money in order to have a higher tier of of a total amount of of data that you you can consume on your monthly subscription. So zero rating comes into play when the ISP starts saying, well, you know, when you use this service, that counts against your your allocation. But if you use this other service, we're not going to count that against your allocation. And the danger comes in when they start choosing their own products. So AT&T is pretty notorious for this. What what AT&T was doing. Uh, was saying DirecTV and, and you know now HBO and Time Warner content, none of that counts against your monthly billing on at and But if you use any other service that competes with those that are not owned by at and it's going to cost you extra. And so they'll frame it as, oh, we're giving people a free thing. But what, well, all they're really actually doing is raising the cost on all the competitors. <laughs> and this is pretty much the reason why the Federal Communications Commission at the end of 2015 – uh, at the at the bureau level, which is the kind of the the level right before the commission itself takes an action, you'll know, conclude that the at and of the world were violating net neutrality and that the practice of self-dealing and, and essentially promoting their own content by raising the cost and all the other alternatives was was really not uh, was not really what net neutrality was about. It's actually very contradictory to that. Uh, because the interference there at the end of the day is they're, they're making, they're, they're charging you extra for you to experience the entire internet and, and, and trying to charge you less if you only experience the AT&T internet. Right. And so the, yeah, so the danger is that the, you know, the, the,
0: the upstarts, the ones that are not the incumbents, the ones that don't have deep pockets, uh, to maybe pay for some of these things or get the
1: better access, (laughs) will
0: never be able to thrive, uh, in this environment. Right.
1: That's exactly right. So the, the the flip, the other thing we that California banned was uh, edge providers being able to pay AT&T or or Comcast, or Verizon, you know, a, an extra fee in order to exempt their service or application from from the data cap. So 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 Netflix, for example, couldn't negotiate an agreement with with AT&T and say if you watch Netflix on our phones, it, it'll you know it'll it won't count against your data cap. But if you watch uh, Hulu or Crunchyroll or YouTube, that will cost against your data cap. They couldn't arrange that and, and pay for that that type of preferential treatment uh, under California law. They can do that in, in in many other states now because the federal protections have been eliminated. But the 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 idea was to ensure that the 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 size of your of your pocketbook, you know, the amount of money you could throw at the ISP for for advantage that that had nothing that that was that type of of practice would be banned uh, in order to ensure that the internet remains a, a, a fair and level playing field for for the small player as well as the big player.
0: So one of the arguments that you talked about, we've talked about California, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, some other states that have done this and some other that are going to be doing it uh, later. But um, one of the arguments that we hear, and, that, and that's why this has become such a mess, is that the federal government basically, and, and please let me know if I get in this wrong, but the federal government basically said, hey, we're not going to be the referee on this anymore. We shouldn't be. Uh, we're going to basically neuter ourselves and roll back to the regulations and neuter ourselves and it, it partially i think they kind of said uh Agipa said well this really should fall into the ftc and you could talk about how that is a false argument in a minute but but the then the isp's are coming back saying hey wait a minute you know now all these states are doing it but i i don't want to have to comply with the patchwork of of laws that depend on what state i'm operating in cuz i cross, you know my my stuff or my services cross state boundaries so you know what? You know this shouldn't be a per state thing. This should be a federal thing, and yet the federal government basically has absolved themselves from this. So, talk, talk to that a little
1: bit. Absolutely. So the irony in all this, you know, and I, and I, and I name, you know, namely Comcast, ATT T, Verizon specifically, because they're the they're the three largest players and the and the three with the kind of the lobbying armies that that have brought about these problems, uh, both at the state level as well as in, in DC. I mean, they're the ones that have really the the um, the special influence forces at play, Um, you know, those the major ISPs got the federal government to deregulate them and then to not only just deregulate them, but also like, you know, fall on its own sword and (laughs) say, you know, we have no power to do anything about these companies. That second act, the idea that the agency uh, eliminated its own authority to oversee these companies so that in the future, if anything came up, the, the agency would be powerless to do anything that's what's really powered the state response because uh, our country is designed in a way where you know we have a federal system and we also have 50 state governments with their own independent constitutions and their own uh, independent powers and this division of state versus federal power has has essentially been been altered in a really unique way in that i couldn't i can't find a different uh, okay, another example of where the federal agency in charge had not just like deregulated an, an industry, which which any agency probably has some 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 flexibility to do, but to also say we also now now have no power, um, because what that did is it it, led, it allowed the states to fill a lot of the void, and w- what's ironic about that is now they're saying oh well, we didn't want states to regulate us, um, you know the, the the fact of the matter is if they want if they got rid of the entire federal structure and and the federal rules. Why would they expect states to simply just stand down? I mean, why would people? You know, why do the Why do the major ISP industry think that the next logical conclusion for for an issue that close to eighty five percent of the American public are on one side of the debate? Um, uh, you know, it's, it's near universal support for net neutrality. The idea that their their local mayor and their local state legislator and everyone else who's elected by the very same American people who disagreed with the sec wouldn't simply turn to their next uh you know their close you know their their close at home politicians and say you know you do something then um i, I think it's just it's it's the it's the it's the ultimate example of, of just how uh, arrogant i think some of the industry players are and you know we will we will fight this fight in a number of states but but every statement takes action you know and you look at all of the the rhetoric and the, and the language that surrounds the different kind of political leaders, you know, both from Republican and Democratic circles uh, at the state level, they're all doing this because they want the federal government to restore the federal rule. Uh, and if it requires each state to stand up and, and apply apply direct pressure on the ISPs to relent and and agree to a, a, a uniform rule, then then so be it. Um, EFF has strongly supported the states acting in this way because we do think. It's how we get eventually back to a, a clear federal protection.
0: So when so when Ajit Pai, uh, the chairman of the current chairman of the FCC, uh, came on in the Trump administration and basically vowed from early early on and and uh, correct me if I'm wrong was he was he used to be a Verizon lobbyist or something? He he had some telecommunication ties before uh, this role. What were was, yeah? But he used
1: to, he used to be one of Verizon's lawyers.
0: <laughs> okay, right. So, uh, you know, funny that you, people might think, oh, well, you know, a conflict of interest, though, the, the previous FCC chairman was was in a similar role. Right. Uh, uh, Wheeler. Right. He was he was also kind of cozy with the industry. He was going to be regulating beforehand, but he actually came around, I think, after the multiple comments during the
1: Obama administration. Uh, yeah, I think what's, what's really funny about that is, uh, I mean, Wheeler was actually a lobbyist. Uh, he actually lobbied for the industry in, in an older time. Um and and Ajit Pai was was one of their lawyers in terms of lawyers in terms of handling like the legal work. So you know you have the previous FCC chairman who literally you know carried their water in D.C. Uh, become one of the best like FCC commissioners on this issue or FCC chairman on this issue, and and Ajit Pai who is you know kind of have a rank and file lawyer you know really kind of carry the water for the industry on in this. Yeah, strange, <laughs> uh, strange bedfellows. So.
0: He had some, he had several arguments, uh, for why he was doing what he was doing. Um, one of them I remember being that I think that, uh, the ISPs, he was he was saying that the ISPs would be reducing their investments because of all this regulation that wasn't there before. We didn't need it before. Everything flourished before this. Why do we need it now? That was another one of his arguments. And but he always said, well, you know, the the ISPs are telling me that if, if all these regulations were in place, we were going to, you know, cut way back on our investment in a new infrastructure and so on. Um, that was not the case. I know that. I think you particularly wrote some articles on that. What
1: what were the real facts behind that? Yep. I mean, I think the, you know, we have the benefit now of hindsight and being able to look at, you know, what is, what has the restoring internet freedom order, which is the, uh, FCC chairman Ajit Pai's decision to, to repeal net neutrality and, and abandon oversight over the industry. Uh, we now have the benefit of seeing that it, it, it's literally done none of the things they said they were going to do. Mainly the fact that, you know, the United States as a market, is woefully behind Europe and woefully behind mm-hmm. South Korea and, and other markets where not only do they have faster Internet, they have competition and they have net neutrality. And so the idea that, you know, I mean, to really kind of put a fine point on it, you know, I've asked a number of kind of international experts in other parts of the world who, who do telecom work. Uh, and, you know, the question I give them is, is there anywhere in the world that has done what the United States has done right now and people have, you know, competitive options for high speed internet, you know, gigabit or faster services and, 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 and any of these benefits. And, and not a single other part of the world has tr- is trying what the United States is trying. And, and so it's just one of those things where w- we know what a good market looks like. We see it all the time in other parts of the world and they have, you know, pretty strong regulations to address the competition and access issues. Uh, and has done, and, it is, and that has done nothing to reduce the investment uh, of those markets. And so, you know, we 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 are sliding backwards uh, in terms of, particularly in fiber to the home deployment. And we just cut, you know, not just in the FCC world, but Congress just cut the taxes of the big uh, telephone and cable companies mm-hmm. by by the tens of billions of dollars. And so they're flushed with so much money right now. Yet not a single one has announced any sort of, of, of new fiber to the home build. Uh, there's this great report by the institute of, of uh, the Institute of Self Local Reliance, um, and the authors, uh, Chris Mitchell. They have a fantastic report showing you know how few parts of this country have fiber fiber optic uh, access to the internet, and and when you look at their maps, you realize you know 65 million Americans have essentially a monopoly. When it comes to high speed access and none of that's changing because the telephone industry is talking about how they're going to do 5G wireless, which is not going to really compete with with you know, with gigabit cable. And so most of us are going to be stuck with monopolies unless something changes. So hardly the success story and, and, and nothing that indicates you know any sort of upward trajectory to something better.
0: Yeah. It, it's so frustrating. And, and they, you know, with, with, all the, and there are monopolies and there has been some competition, like in my, in my area, Google fiber kindly finally came in and, you know, they've stopped rolling it out, but we were lucky enough to get it here. And, uh, as soon, as soon as Google fiber rolled in with the hundred gigabit service for 50 bucks a month, time Warner at the time, right. Uh, yep. spectrum immediately said, Oh, Hey, we're going to, we're going to bump your speeds up for free, you know, to kind of, well, to compete. Because, yeah, and they could it's not yeah. like it took them months to roll this out like, oh gee, we better catch up and, and and invest in our infrastructure. It was already there. So all they had to do was flip a switch and all of a sudden everyone got higher
1: speed service for, for the same amount of money. It was it was there all along. It's just so, exactly it's just right. so frustrating. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean that's exactly right. And and your story of having a competitive alternative come in, you know, really you're part of, of, of ten to fifteen percent of this country. Uh, wow. a vast majority of the rest of the country, you know, I just, uh, for example, um, there is this, uh, I forget the name of the city, but, uh, there's a city in Texas about 30 miles east of Houston. Their, their local government decided to build their own fiber optic mm-hmm. gigabit network because what ended up happening was, you know, I'm not joking. Like these numbers are appalling. They had DSL at 1.5 megabits per second wow. to like to today, this year, that wow. was around one choice. And then they had cable no faster than five megabits per second, and, I'll, and and those numbers shocked the heck out of me. I'm like, how can they have such abysmally slow internet, and and, and a duopoly at that? And and they're neither felt compelled to increase the investment. yet a small city, you know, if I a town could figure out how to wire their own fiber optic network, uh, and and are, are going to start rolling out gigabit services. Um, it's really just a situation where. You know, the telephone companies are not motivated to deploy fiber to the home to compete with cable. And so cable will just do the, the absolute minimum to give you, you know, what, what, what they feel like would be sufficiently fast enough to, for you to be willing to pay for it. Uh, at, at fairly outrageous rates. Uh, I, I'm in, for example, like in my own market, I only have cable for high speed internet. Uh, they're offering a gigabit service at 160 bucks a month, which wow. is about four, 400% higher than you know some of my fellow eff staff who who have two or three options in san francisco uh and then in downtown san francisco so uh it's it's dramatic uh what what competition does to the pricing and too few of us are getting those choices well i'm glad you brought that up
0: because i was going to bring up a similar story here in north carolina uh that we had there was another there was a, a similar uh small town neighborhood or small town area in north carolina uh, that was in the same boat. They were getting horrible service from their local providers, and they and so they finally decided we we're going to do their own local thing. Except uh, the the stories were there were kids trying to do their homework, and the parents would put them in the car and drive them down like near like a, a McDonald's or something where they could get some Wi-Fi, and they mm-hmm. would do homework in their car because that was the only way they were getting decent internet service. Um, and but the way it worked out, the way it rolled out in North Carolina, I don't know, I'm not sure what happened in Texas, but. Uh, and you probably know the details better than i do but i believe that the state blo- that the the comcast or and or not comcast time Warner lobbied the state to have that effort blocked through some legal rigmarole that basically yep. not allowed them yep. to do that
1: yep yep about 20 or so states have laws that are that basically the cable lobby uh, you know who who is your local monopolist you know they basically got state legislatures to pass laws that, that make it very difficult for local governments to build their own broadband networks. And they did that because they, they can't, you know it's essentially a way to lock in their profits. If they don't have to worry about the telephone industry competing with them anymore, then the only party left is – well, there's two. The, the only two parties left are uh, what are called comp- uh, competitive local exchange carriers, which are these kind of smaller telephone companies that, are, that have – uh, a special arrangement with AT&T and Verizon to be able to deploy broadband, and, and they're deploying fiber in most of their markets, or uh, the local government uh, to build a good zone. And everyone, you know, ever, all of us have a local government. All of us have a city council who, you know, are tied to the local community and have the motivation to say, you know, enough is enough. It's time for, for my people to, be, to join the 21st century. Um, and, and the passage of these state laws really is, is a travesty because all, all they were meant to do was this, you know, it was done years ago in a way to, you know, foreclose on what they knew was going to be a future issue, which is, um, you know, people have one choice and they want to be able to charge you as much as possible. And as long as no one can give you an alternative, not only do they not have to invest and upgrade their networks, you know, despite what the FCC argued was going to happen, um, you know, they, they they have the confidence that no one can can challenge their position in the market.
0: So this is something I've wondered for a long time. And I want to get your opinion on this. And this is maybe pie in the sky. I don't know. And I'm curious to know if you know if any, if any other, because you said it sounds like you've talked to other countries around the world and, and and looked at what they're doing. To me, the Internet is critical infrastructure to the point where yes. I should I would want to consider it. I'm ready to lump it in there with water, electricity, highways. Why isn't this something that, you know? And I, I'm not a big government regulation guy or a big government should run everything kind of guy, but this is just seems like one of those things that we can't. It's it's not shouldn't be a profit center. This should be this should be something that as a government we that our government invests in for all of our benefits, including these, a lot of these companies. And you I don't, I don't know about how about taking it over as a as regulated industry, but you know. Kinda of like we did back with uh, long distance service back in the day. It was it was owned by one or, one company or one or two companies, and the federal government finally came and said, Look, you gotta you gotta lease this to other people at reasonable rates and let there be competition. But I almost take it a step further. Has any other has any other comp- countries just decided that this is this is basic? This is like highways on the road. We have to have this as a country, so we're not gonna let this be a for profit thing anymore. We're gonna let the government do it.
1: So uh, that is definitely a trend in many parts of the world. Uh and and I have yet to so an interesting one is uh, in in Sweden, uh the city of Stockholm has a an open access fiber network that that is I believe it's publicly owned. Uh but it's basically you know all commerce can resell on resell on the network. And you know, the city has close to 100 options when it comes to broadband services and, and applications that run over the, the fiber optic network, because the capacity of fiber is is, is extraordinarily high. And if you are, uh, you know, selling it as a as essentially an infrastructure, you know, as essentially this is a road and all people can can lease access and, and resell a service on it, um, you know, we're seeing this trend where where you have a ton of competition coming in. Um, one of the, you know, and if you look at the United States, you know, we don't really have any open access. We're not really promoting open access models of that nature. Uh, and it's fairly new. Uh, you know, Ireland is actually deploying a ton of fiber very quickly because they're, they're adopting an open access model for their for their fiber and treating it as an infrastructure. Um, I think for, United, for for the United States market in particular, when it comes to, to rural markets, uh, you know, very sparsely populated territories, farm country, uh, th- those markets are going to probably not be able to afford more than one solid fiber optic network. And we are nowhere in the right mindset in terms of support, you know, in terms of the federal subsidies or, or construction or any of the, the way we treat broadband to, tr- to treat it in the correct way to, to in the same way we addressed electricity and water. I fundamentally agree with what you're saying there, in the sense of, um, particularly for rural and difficult-to-serve markets. If we are not treating this like the roads and the electricity and water, and and, and approaching it with the same type of um, conviction as we did decades ago, we are going to have an internet that really the wealthy neighborhoods have the two or three high, you know high-speed options. Most of us have you know virtually no choice, or one you know, or, or if we have a choice, it's one choice and it's very expensive. Um, and you know, without any of the policies in place to, to to change that trajectory, that that's going to be what we're stuck with. So it's it's definitely a thing where lots of other markets around the world have experimented with you know open access policies, line sharing, uh, and, and more direct government uh, funding to construct the networks, as well as government ownership. And have been very successful at getting, you know, we're talking you know gigabit, gigabit speeds of forty to sixty bucks on average. Wow. Um, you know, and, and and what's even crazier is, uh, you know, ten gigabit is a reality in the United States in one city, which is uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. You know, they sell <laughs> a, 10, a ten gigabit broadband service, uh, that's owned by the city, because the 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 potential of fiber optics is so great that they all they had to do is switch out some equipment and some computers uh and they didn't have to do a single public work they didn't have to tear up a single road or rewire a single wow. building because the what Akatil Alcatel Lucent came out with was a way to make you know basically push more data through the the fiber optic lines wave division uh,
0: multiplexing work. i actually worked i worked on that at lucid for a while
1: yeah, you know it. You know, it. yeah. The the, the technical jargon sometimes escapes me, but that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And just basically, you know, splitting splitting the signal more in more ways through the same pipe and results in more capacity.
0: So, uh, there's a historical aspect of this I want to cover because I want to see if you know anything more than I, than I do. Uh, the FCC, you talked about how so many, so much, what percentage of the population was in support of net neutrality and yet it failed. So there was a period where the FCC, rightly so solicited comments from the public uh and that was a complete fiasco so i remember the site going down for a while and then i remember there was you know the fcc was saying something about uh actually maybe it wasn't what they maybe it wasn't them saying it It was other people saying that many of the pro or the anti-net neutrality comments there were done by bots or were all fake uh then at one point i think the fcc or agipai said that they were hacked and then then for me that story went away and i never got to the bottom of that what what happened there? Do we, do we know?
1: So what seems to be coming out at this point and, and you know, this has been verified, verified by uh, like the inspector general and other, other reporting at this point is the SEC was never, was never directly compromised by, by any sort of, you know, quote, unquote hack. Um, the, despite the fact that a handful of, of, of people who worked at the FCC try to sell that story, Um, the, the reality was the FCC was not ready for the number of people who are going to comment on net neutrality. Uh, and they should have been because it was obvious. It's a very important issue for a lot of people. They've had, uh, millions of comments in the past. And this is if my, if I'm, I believe I'm accurate in saying this, the restoring internet freedom orders comment, uh, record. Is the most commented, uh, like the most commented on record in federal history. Oh wow! Meaning the the number of people who submitted comments to the FCC, uh, you know, and, and that might change slightly if they filter out any kind of the bot issue and any mm. of the artificial comments. But I, I suspect that those made up a minority, a, a pretty discreet minority of the comments, um, and that's based on just the polling, you know, where the polling has been on this. But it's had, you know, 22 million comments. And uh, FCC Commissioner Rosenworcel just uh, you know, stated recently on Twitter that when you sort out all of the you know, suspect comments, uh, anything that looks like it's a fraudulent comment, you, the, the numbers come down to about 99.3% comments in support from, from real people. Uh, and so that's, that is millions and millions of people who have said to the FCC, keep net neutrality, don't do what you're doing. And and for less than one percent saying the opposite, and so it's it's pretty overwhelmingly in one direction. And every poll I've seen that studies this issue uh, has reflected that dynamic. And we're, on average, it's about eighty-five percent or higher uh, political support for net neutrality. And you know, I, I would say from our own experience in California pushing the California law, uh, we had Republicans voting with the Democrats at the end of the day because. You know, it didn't matter like what your political persuasion was. You, 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 we had basically eight out, eight out of nine or nine out of ten. Yeah, I'm sorry, eight out of ten or nine out of ten chance that a California was supporting net neutrality because it didn't matter which political party they're in. Um, and, and you know we had pretty strong votes that came out of both the assembly and the senate, despite what was close to about a six million dollar plus. Uh, lobby uh, in terms of how much money the ISP spent to try and beat the bill uh, and beat the law in Sacramento.
0: Wow. So this whole thing has spawned several lawsuits and uh, I'll chronologically cover the first one first. Uh, when the, as soon as the FCC rolled back net neutrality last year, when it finally went through after all the hand wringing and back and forth, it became, it, it, it actually happened. Several States attorneys general uh, filed suit against the FCC Um what was the basis for that suit and where does that suit stand now
1: so the lawsuit is premise on uh the administrative procedures act and the 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 apa so that's apa for short the apa is essentially the law of the regulator though the regulator is required by law to you know it, it, uh, solicit comment uh explain what they're intending to do with, with whatever the regulation they're going to produce uh, and ensure those regulations are, are rational and, and reasonable in, in, in their justifications as well as uh, uh, how they're, what they're doing to carry out the law. Uh, so the restraints on an agency is you know, they can't violate those, those tenets. They can't uh, – for example, they couldn't like, issue a regulation and not, not tell anyone about it in advance – uh, or they couldn't issue a, re- uh, a regulation or, or take an action, but the, the law granted to them by Congress did not authorize them to do. And so the basis of the arguments against the SEC are, are kind of several fold. Um, but the biggest one is whether the FCC can do can even do what it's doing now, which is uh, you know, rolling back net neutrality regulations, as well as saying we, you're know, basically reclassifying broadband companies uh, away from what they are, what's known, what's called common carriers or Title II of the Communications Act, and say that none of them are telecom services. These are all quote-unquote information services under the federal law, and and therefore, if they are information services, we have no power to regulate them, or, or issue any sort of enforcement actions against them. Um, the question for the agency before the judi- the judiciary is going to be whether that that choice was a re- was a rational choice. Um, hmm. and you know it's the you know federal agencies tend to get a lot of deference on this, but they still have to operate uh in a, in a rational way. And so you know EFF for our part in our Amicus filing, we, we stated the FCC is acting arbitrary. What's called arbitrary and capricious, which is the legal term for um, completely irrational. The, the decision, what the FCC is doing, and and we had about hundred and sixty or so uh, technologists and engineers and people who built the internet uh, sign on, uh, you know, from as a technology experts to to say, you know, the the way the FCC had to interpret how the internet worked was so wildly off the factual reality <laughs> that the that the courts have to reject this. The the courts cannot accept this. The, this approach. Um, part of that is is the the reason why the FCC had to really be be weird in the way it interpreted the the ISPs and how the ISPs operated, is if they wanted the informa- the legal definition of information services to apply to cable and telephone companies, um, and, and the way they're structured today, they, they had to make a lot of weird arguments, like um, uh, the domain name service system is part of an information service system and uh, most of the Internet is through your cable company, not uh, where, where the more where the reality is that your cable company is connecting you to services, not being the service itself. Mm-hmm. Like the Comcast is not Facebook and Comcast is not YouTube. Those are actual other networks that you're being connected to through your access product. Um, but 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 the SEC had to say essentially Comcast was everything of the Internet in order to make the legal argument work. So that 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 connection or that argument is what we're challenging and saying that that's an irrational structure, uh, and that the courts have to, th- to throw that back out. So
0: that seems like kind of a hail, hail mary, to be honest. <laughs> Where does that stand now? it? And what are the odds of that going anywhere?
1: Well, it's hard to measure odds on this. I mean, I think it comes down to uh, a, a couple of things. Um, you know, the 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 agency, you, it, you know, it comes down to a couple of things. So so the judges at the D.C. Circuit will have will, you know, we'll look at the facts. And if a judge is successfully persuaded that the agency is really ignoring like the, just the factual reality, um, you know, it, it has no reason to validate the, You know, it has no reason to grant deference to their interpretation of the law. Um, we're in uncharted waters. It's hard for me to say like, what are the odds here? Cause I, I don't have other there's, this is pretty rare for a federal agency to do this. Mm. Um, you know, you take it, the other major federal agencies, such as like the, Environmental Protection Agency or um, or even the Federal Trade Commission. I mean, you don't really have uh, an opportunity for them to interpret the law in a way that deregulates them or or, or eliminates their authority. Uh, And so that's just kind of one of those moments where it's going to be tested. You know, the the logic is going to be tested pretty ferociously. Yeah, Uh, it's kind of strange, kind of a weird situation. And it's probably worthwhile for your listeners to understand the, the reason why the 96 telecom law, the federal law that governs kind of the Internet service provider industry, the reason why it has this information service definition at all uh, was it was written is written in regards to America Online and Prodigy and and, you know, basically ISPs you would dial out to through your telephone system. Mm. And and that is literally who what Congress meant it to apply to. And only through, you know, kind of judicial doctrine and, and this reliance on deference has the FCC tri- been able to say, okay, yeah, like a, your cable phone, your company is like your AOL um, versus, you know, essentially a service that provides you access to a network. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, in, a, in a most ironic sense, the, the, ma- the major Supreme Court case in all this is, is called Brand X. And in the dissent on Brand X, uh, just the late Justice Scalia, you know, kind of a staunch conservative, you know, basically said, "There's no way you can say a broadband company is not a title II common carrier service. That's an absurd notion. <laughs> and the FCC shouldn't 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 be given the deference to to make that argument." So there are clearly, you know, very thoughtful uh, judicial uh, officials, uh, you know, up to the you know, stance of ju- Justice Scalia himself. Who would look at what the FCC is doing today and say that's that's completely that's completely illogical?
0: Okay, so now now we got to catch up to today. So we, yep. the California bill uh, is is in place. It actually follows three others. I think Vermont, Oregon, and Washington also passed their own bills. That didn't sound like they were as strong. So tell us a little bit about the specifics of the California bill. What does it do at a high level? And how does it how does it differ from what we would have had had the FCC not rolled back its regulations? And, I'll, and if you would also talk to, I know at one point, uh, the bill looked really watered down. At some point, there was uh, there was some lobbyist effort or something that 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 hamstrung the bill, but it somehow still yep. came back. So give us a little bit of that drama and, and how that how it unfolded and what it what it ended up with.
1: Yeah, love, love to love to. So um, the real difference between California's net neutrality law and the executive orders and and state laws that have moved in other states. Um, you know, California is the ninth state to do something on net neutrality, but the big things that California decided was the zero rating uh, and banning the discriminatory versions of zero rating uh, and leaving kind of the the more okay versions, such as, um, you know, if you're if you're an edge provider and uh, and a user was able to self select which services are zero rated or exempted from the data cap, you know that that's a perfectly permissible activity. Yeah. Um, and so that's still allowed in California law. The other thing that's different in California's law versus other uh, states is uh, the A- state attorney general is- was given authority to oversee the the interconnection market. So this is the market where the internet service in terms of the infrastructure connects to the what's called the last mile, which is your cable company or telephone company. Um, the connection between those two points of which in the state of California, about 24, 25 of those connections exist, uh, which is extraordinarily high for, for, Mm. for the state. So let you know that's more than most countries. (laughs) Um, But the idea was to ensure that they couldn't violate net neutrality, namely the no blocking, no throttling and no pay prioritization requirements in the state law that they couldn't negotiate something on the other end of their, of the connection line and, and, and essentially do those things. And that's, All the state of California did. It's it's actually much more limited than what the Federal Communications Hmm. Commission did under the 2015 open Internet order. But part of it was a recognition that there's there's limits on what the state can do in this space. Um, And the interesting thing about that provision has been Comcast in their declaration in, in their lawsuit against California to block the law. You know, have effectively said there's two, two contracts that are in the midst of negotiating right now that may violate the state law a ban on it on, on, on um, you know, or, or the, the state the state protection on net neutrality. so, so clearly they were work, they were doing something in, in the aftermath of the, the repeal of net neutrality. They don't give any details other than asserting that they think it may be in violation of the state law. But it's telling that their opposition to the state exerting oversight over over that part of the market uh, has revealed some some sort of activity that we you know we, we will probably learn more about in time. Hmm. Um, but you know though what's funny is you know the cable companies like Comcast will say it's confusing what we're not allowed to do when it's actually pretty straightforward. You're not allowed <laughs> to you know, you're not allowed to block a website or a service. You're not allowed to throttle a service um, you know in in a sort of discriminatory way. That's not associated with, with managing your network um, as an from an engineering standpoint. And you're not allowed to get paid money to give preferential treatment. And um, you know I guess related to that is they're not allowed to simply say, if you don't pay us we won't we we will do those things. Uh, the idea of that is called access charges. Hmm. So so clearly Comcast had the intent to do those things yeah, the moment the moment the federal president's <laughs> failed um, and but for the state of California doing this, that they're you know, they're kind of impeded. And so the litigation will play out and address those questions. But th- those are probably the biggest differences in what the California law has versus what Washington and Vermont and other and Oregon and a few other states, um, Montana as well, uh, have in their own protections. So the go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh okay, well, and then to go to the 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 ups and downs of the fight in California, mm-hmm. you know, I think people really have to understand that the power of the ISP at the state legislative level is is even more so than what they've been able to pull off in Washington D.C. And that's because you you have you know you have fewer fewer reporters in place uh, at the state legislature, so a lot more kind of shenanigans can get be <laughs> can be done without anyone knowing. Um, and uh they have an incredibly tight relationship uh, through their political contributions to the state political parties and the democratic party is no exception to that, that rule um the the fascinating dynamic though was we passed this california senate uh fair, with a very strong vote and we headed our way to the assembly and the first committee on the assembly is this what's called the communications conveyance committee uh, the chair of that committee was well known to be uh, uh, effectively an ally of AT&T. And that was generally what was known within the, the Capitol. And, and uh, everyone who worked there for years, you know, has, gave, gave me that warning, gave all of uh, the consumer advocates in the coalition that warning of, you know, when you get there, like he's going to try and do whatever AT&T needs him to do uh, because he's long been their supporter uh, in exchange for, for whatever, whatever they give, give in support for, for him um what what that chairman did not count on though uh was how many people would be upset with with you know how many of his own constituents uh were going to be upset the moment they find out that he would stand in the way of net neutrality and you know i'll say with, with all with all with all honesty i didn't know exactly what the response would be other than you know me warning of uh, you know staff in Sacramento. You you don't know how important this is to many people across the you know across all walks of life until you do something that really is threatening to take it away from them and um you know and and the state legislatures are now places where net neutrality has been fought in the past so they just were very unfamiliar with with just how large and wide reaching the movement is. Um, and so when the news hit, and, and EFF hit this committee very hard for doing, for essentially gutting the bill, uh, essentially destroying the contents of the bill, and pretending they, they didn't do anything bad with it, um, you know, we we were very aggressive in, in asserting that that was that was corruption at its finest, and the you know, in our, a lot of our allied organizations hit hit very hard. Uh, and lo and behold, about a week or so later. Uh, the number of protests and phone calls and emails and just just regular people all across the state of California, you know, just lighting up the phones and just are being in being livid, really livid with their legislators for, you know, not standing up to the the telephone cable industry uh, was was overwhelming. I mean, it was such a huge response that by by the by about a week later, uh, that that you know, inside pocket, you know, ally of AT&T had turned completely hmm. over 80, uh, and worked with us, you know, and basically said, what could I, you know, essentially, you know, uh, was very aggressive, you know, basically was converted to a champion, uh, and saw that, you know, all of his, his people back home, and he represented the, uh, part of Los Angeles, you know, the people of Los Angeles expect me to carry the, to fix this. And to fight back against what the FCC has done, and to be a supporter for net neutrality, and and I will be that supporter. And so, you know, really a credit to the people of Los Angeles in particular. They they made someone who thought you know it was a sleepy issue that no one was paying attention to, and and so he can kind of do this favor and no one know, uh, and, and really converted him into probably one of the strongest champions for us at the end. Wow. Um, who you know he just basically learned uh, this is an uh, assembly member Miguel Santiago's his name. You know, Miguel Santiago at the end of this uh, was probably the most active front, public face for net neutrality, um, but but it took kind of a kick in the pants <laughs> to get him there. <laughs> that sounds a little bit like the
0: whole uh, Wheeler turn of, turn of, turnabout too. I mean, oh were, yeah, they were and they, So that that's a heartening. I mean, obviously we lost the the fight with Ajit Pai and and his FCC, but there are some success stories out there and it's just a matter of about people going out there and making their voices heard. And, and, and like you said, making sure that the, the representatives realize this is not a sleeper issue. This is
1: something that they actually care about.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and, and to that point, I mean, we had Republicans in California voting for net neutrality at the end of this because they just, there's just too many people back in every part of the state who says this is, you know, this is what we want. You know, this is what we want their the rules to be. Um And, and to the, effect, the extent that, you know, Jeep high is not listening you know, I think this is a temporary a temporary situation in the sense of, you know, Washington D.C. can only pretend that the American public don't count for so long before before it actually does. Um, and and I think this is one of those issues where I, I don't see a debate. Like I just don't see it as a situation where you know there is there's two equally sized forces out there that are that are talking this out. It's 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 uh, you know it's a small set of of, of well funded companies versus basically the american people and, and i like my odds of, of, of being on the side of the public here uh
0: okay so uh, just a couple more questions so i know that california is such, such a huge economy uh that oftentimes when they legislate something when they regulate something uh many of the rest of us kind of get some benefits from that anyway it's kind of it's like when gdpr rolled around even though you weren't in europe there were a lot of uh, changes made by a lot of companies because they just rather Treat everybody the same than to try to peat the, uh, treat the people in the EU differently. So we all kind of got a benefit mm-hmm. from that, even though it didn't happen here. Is this in uh, California emissions? That was another one, right? That for cars that kind of rolled out to the rest of the uh, to the country as well. Can we hope for any for anything like that out of uh, the, the net neutrality bill, or is that going to be pretty well contained in California?
1: It's going to be fairly well. It's going to be contained in California in terms of the regulation, but the political impact is, I think, felt nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, the ISPs are able to sell, you know, different types of broadband packages, you know, tailored to the city they're selling it to, um, because that's how their infrastructure is designed. It, they're, they, you know, they're selling, you know, they're not selling, uh, you know, you, they're, your, your cable company or telephone company, uh, when they're servicing you, your broadband connection. Uh, they're not selling it to you from from hundreds of miles away. It's it's usually a handful of miles, likely within the city or, or slightly outside the city. Um, and, and and net neutrality has always been a regulation of what's called the last mile, the connection to the house or to the business. So so they will have to operate a certain way in California. And and the small ISPs in California are probably you know probably really have no problem doing it. And the and the larger players will will have no problem doing it. And then. Um, what will be the political benefit here? Is if they attempt to do something that is violating net neutrality, they'll kind of have to own up to it in other states where they don't have these restrictions, mm. uh, and then in California they'll have to acknowledge that they they can't they're not they're not selling a certain service because the service the service they are selling you know, essentially violates net neutrality in some way, like likely through paid prioritization. Um, Or, or, you know, Californians will have a wireless service that is not uh, zero-rated in a way that makes AT&T's products uh, receive the benefit versus all products being treated equally. Um, You know, the companies are going to have to make some hard choices of, you know, how do they continue to sell wireless services, uh, and and how what are they going to do about their data caps? Because if they they've lost the incentive to to discriminate Hmm. and. It will be foolhardy for AT&T to keep low data caps because, you know, Sprint still offers unlimited plans and T-Mobile still offers fairly unlimited open plans. And, you know, those two companies would be more than happy to take AT&T customers because AT&T is giving them a raw deal. So, so you know, the benefits of competition, at least in wireless, are still, still there. At, you know, they're weakening, but they're still there. Um, but, we, you know, we will see these differences. And I think the education from those differences is going to be pretty important. Uh, In terms of other states, though, I suspect many other states will start moving that neutrality loss next year, uh, particularly if the D.C. circuits finds that the FCC cannot block states. Um, This litigation is going to play out for another six, seven months, and we're going to get some pretty major decisions, I think, uh, mid-next year. And if the the, the federal judiciary decides – and we think this is the correct uh, reading of the law – but the FCC cannot say it has no authority to regulate companies or punish companies or, or enforce rules, yet simultaneously has this enormous power to say states don't have their own independent authority to do, do that as well. Um, I don't think that's true. I just don't think it's possible for the FCC to win that argument. And if at the end of the day the FCC loses, loses on that ground, even if it wins on the overall repeal – uh, the cable and telephone industry understand they're going to be dealing with a lot of state legislatures or who are going to have a lot of people uh, demanding action. And they lost in California. I have no doubt they're going to lose in many other states because you, know, you can only you can only convince uh, legislators to, to ignore 85% of the people for, for so long before they realize it's in their political benefit to do the opposite. Um, I mean, one of the craziest stories that came out of the California experience here was uh, AT&T Verizon essentially had one of their kind of their front groups um, basically pay you know basically they get money from the companies and they use that money to pay for robocalls uh, mm. and had basically a whole series of robocalls to senior citizens and and essentially targeting uh, the elderly and 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 these robocalls they're saying you know the California legislature is trying to raise your phone bill by like thirty bucks a month mm. uh, call right away and tell them you oppose you know SB822, the the law for net neutrality, and you know is totally a blatant mis, you know a blatant lie mm-hmm. as a means to try and generate kind of fake opposition, right? Uh, and and that should be pretty revealing in that, you know that's all they've got. I mean that's you know at the end of the day they don't actually have a grassroots army to help fight. Uh, they only have kind of trickery and and hopes of people not paying attention.
0: So that's a perfect segue into the, the final call to action and that you which know, always like try to give people some hope and give you know give them something to do. So if, if, if we've convinced the audience, hopefully again, maybe that, that this is an important issue, and you know they maybe don't live in California, maybe they live in a state where they don't know that anything is going on with this, How do, what's the most effective way for an average citizen to get involved and to uh, forward the cause of net neutrality in their state?
1: So right, we didn't talk about this much, but right now, we as a country have been able to convince the United States Senate to reverse the FCC's decision to repeal net neutrality. Uh, It was done through what's called a Congressional Review Act uh, Mm. process, and and a majority of the United States Senate uh, voted to reverse the FCC. What that means now is the House of Representatives, and all of us have one House of Representatives, Uh, has a petition in front of them where if 218 members of the House agree to sign that petition, uh, the House of Representatives would then reverse the FCC as well, and and it kicks it up to the president's desk. Uh, No one really knows where Trump is, and and I would say, you know, I would suggest that he probably doesn't know where he is on this either. (laughs) So uh, if there's a demonstration of strong political support for something, you know, at the end of the day, he is still as much of a politician as others in that. Uh, he wants to be well liked and the so the immediate call to action right now is, is people should be calling their House of Representative and asking them to sign what's called a discharge petition to to restore net neutrality. And every office knows exactly what you're talking about when you say that because they've already received some calls and emails so far from from mm-hmm. the various organizations, including EFF. So. Um, you know, we have until the end of this year uh, to be able to do to be able to force the House to reverse the FCC. And if we're able to do that, uh, we may be able to just win this outright uh, without having to, to work through litigation next year. I'm glad if you brought that we, up
0: because I'd actually forgotten about that. I thought that was dead and gone. I knew we won in the Senate, but I thought it was basically just not going to be picked up by the House, so it was effectively a dead deal. I didn't I didn't realize it was even still an option.
1: Yeah, no, it's still an option right up until December 31st, 2018, um, because the the vehicle, all all it's required is, you know, the discharge petition process really was designed to ensure that a majority of the House can override leadership. So right now they're dealing with you know, Speaker Ryan and House Republican leadership is saying we we, we will not vote on this. Mm. Um, but that's not the final say. The final say is if, if if 218 members of the House agree with that notion. And and my hope is is if people take the time to call their House representative, demand that they sign that petition. Because if that happens enough times in enough places across the country, it, it will get signed. It will get there. But, um, but it takes a lot of work from all of us, right? All of us have to prove that, that we are everywhere. There are millions of us. And um, you know I think when, when big internet issues have happened in the past, we've been able to pull it off. Um, and even, even if we do fail uh, this year, the exercise of, of, of communicating that demand Really has an impact on on legislators going to the next year, um, because what, what we need to do at the end of the day is 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 really make it very clear in Washington D.C. that this is this is a one sided issue, and that one side is in favor of net neutrality, um, because the sooner they feel it's not worth the political capital to carry the water for Comcast and Verizon and AT&T, uh, they'll stop doing it. But it takes it takes time. It'll take some time and some 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 some, uh, you know, kind of, you know, marching and, and protesting and, and fighting the, the whole way there.
0: Maybe if one of you guys knows John Oliver, you can give him a call because I know that uh, that one of the reasons that the FCC was so swamped last year is because he had a special on. I actually often refer people to go to YouTube to watch his explanation of net neutrality because it's so a it's funny. Uh, but B, yeah. you know, he's always so good to cut right to the heart of the matter. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, and, you know, and I'll tell everybody, as I always do, you guys are doing, you know, great work on this stuff. And so the other thing you can do, if you don't have time to do it yourself, well, you should always have time to call your representative. But after that, uh, it, you know, if you don't have time to be, you know, out there campaigning of these things and getting your friends all up to it, you know, pay some people like you guys that are doing it for them. And you guys have done so much stuff. And I know you in particular have been at this uh, Net New thing for for a long time. So. Uh, I would also encourage people to go check out the EFF.org and uh, to find their net neutrality stuff and donate some money there, give you guys a little uh, money because you guys are doing work for all of us and I, we really appreciate that. All
1: right, and thank you for that. And we really do, you know, we're, 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 majority of our funding comes from small dues, dues paying members. Uh, we have about 30 to 40, 30 to 40,000 uh, individuals that that fund this work. And, and really that's, that's the source of our power. That's how we're able to, you know, get people like me to go to legislatures and say, you know, kind of what the, what the American public want uh, to counteract the the ISPs. Well, thank you so much for doing it, and keep doing it, and keep up the
0: work. Uh, we will fund you as best we can. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, thank you again. Wow, what a lot of material to cover. It's, it, there's so many angles to this, and there's so many interesting stories. I I believe uh, behind this uh, net neutrality fight you know, like the kids in North Carolina that can't get their homework done because they can't get the, you know, a decent service. And, and yet the states are blocking efforts by, you know, municipalities to come up with their own internet service. All these things are kind of tied together because these, these industries are, are so, so deep pocketed. They've made so much money and they've got basic monopolies in most of the country. And so they can, you know, basically assert their will by funding the right candidates um, it's time for us to get out there and vote these people out that are allowing this to happen and, you know, have the government serve the people anyway, before I get too high on that soapbox, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I really want to thank Ernesto Falcone for coming on and explaining it all to us and walking us through the various things that are going on now in California and other states, uh, because the states are taking over where the federal government has basically washed their hands of this whole situation, which is not good. We really do need federal, federal regulation on this. So it's the same for everybody across the country. Uh, and we need to bring back net neutrality. And honestly, we need to have more competition as well. So the election's coming up. Go to those town halls. Ask your prospective candidates how they feel about these topics and grill them on it. Uh, you know, now that you're well-informed, ask you know intelligent questions and see where they come down on these issues and vote accordingly. And so that's going to wrap up our show this week. Uh, Again, the third edition for my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, is out. It just came out last month. It's uh, much improved even over the last one. It's got more tips and more pages, and it's in full color now. Uh, it's really great. I'm so happy to be working with A-Press. They've been wonderful through this whole process. It's um, nice to have a really big, uh, mature publisher behind you. So uh, anyway, it makes a great gift. We got the holidays coming up, so you know maybe someone who struggles with their computer or is constantly asking you computer questions, uh, maybe is going to get a new computer for Christmas or a new mobile phone. There's there's things in the in the book about mobile, covering your mobile phones uh, and smart devices as well. So lots of great info. So it makes a great gift. Uh, One thing I'd like to ask if you do already have the book, write a review on Amazon. Please post a nice review on Amazon if you like the book. If you don't like the book, uh, there's a feedback link in the book you could find and send me that feedback and uh, this book will be updated, you know, every maybe 18 months or so. So if you find something in that book you think is missing or needs to be uh, tweaked, let me know that too. I'd be glad to hear from you. And honestly, some of you already done that. So I thank you for those that have, who uh, have sent me suggestions. I am more than happy to hear those things. I want to make this book as best, uh, as best as I can and reach as many people as possible. So thank you again. Uh, again, you can find that on Amazon. You can find it on A press. You can go to Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can find it basically everywhere now. Uh, Amazon, unfortunately is the place where most people go. So if you're going to leave a review, I'd love to have one, uh, on amazon.com. I would very much appreciate that. Okay, that's going to wrap it up, and as always, stay safe and don't get caught with your dropage down.